Hello, and welcome to The Journey's podcast. If you enjoy this podcast, we invite you to check out The Journey live at one of our two Metro New York locations, including Queens and Manhattan. Visit journeyqueens.com for service times and directions. Now let's join Pastor of The Journey Queens, Mike Cooper, as he teaches live. So today we are in the middle of a series called Old School. And the whole point of this series is we want to kick it back and we want to look at the most foundational, the most important habits to build when it comes to your spiritual life. And so two weeks ago, we kicked this off and we talked about the Bible. The Bible's God's word that was written for us. And we were talking about how do we read it? How do we dive deep and read it in a way that we're pulling things out of it and how to rebuild our life around it? And yesterday, or not yesterday, last week, uh, we continued our series by talking about the importance of prayer, that prayer is not just me going to God with a lot of requests and wondering why isn't he answering them, but prayer is a moment, it's a time where we can dare to believe great things for God. And I gave you guys four important, four bold, powerful prayers. If you missed last week, do me a favor, go to that podcast and listen to it, not because of me, but because I know what that message can do for your life if we change our prayer life to pray those four prayers. Now today, uh, we're going to talk about something really, really exciting and really important to all of us. Today, we're going to talk about the importance of money. Now I know, because I've been a pastor for 12 years now, I know how tense a room gets when we talk about Money. All of a sudden, when we say the word money, man, all the air is out of the room. It's hot in here. Are they ever going to turn the air conditioning on? Don't they know it's September? Uh, you know, and a lot of times when we talk about money, it gets really, really nervous and really tense. And so here's what I want you to do. Every person in the room, just take a deep breath and exhale. Just, just relax. In fact, turn your neighbor, look at your neighbor. Uh, if you didn't come with them, why don't you say, how you doing? All right, just, just helping you out. All right. But turn to your neighbor and say, it's going to be okay. We're going to be all right. All right. Go ahead and tell them that. Give them a reassurance. Now, here's why I think it's important that we talk about money. Because over the years, what I've learned is that we as Christians are not intentionally not generous. We just, we can't be generous because we're so tied down and we're so strapped financially. It's not that we don't understand being generous is important. We just, we're trying to figure it all out and how do we be generous with what we have because we're so tight financially. And so what I want to do today is I want to talk about how can we free ourselves up a little bit so that way we can be generous with all that God has given us. So today I want to begin with a question. And my first question to you is this. When was the first time that you realized you were in a financial mess? When was the first time ever in life that you realized, man, uh-oh, I'm in trouble here when it comes to my money? Maybe for you it was in college. Uh, maybe for others it was the first time you got a credit card statement and you're like, oh, that's what that thing is for. Uh, maybe it was last week, who knows? But for me, the first time when I realized that I was in a financial mess was way back in 2003. 2003, I was a sophomore in college, and the world was at my fingertips. I mean, the world, life couldn't have been any better. 2003, I ran for president, and I won. It's like, yeah, man, what does a president do? Oh, man, there's responsibilities. But I won. I was the president of my class my sophomore year. I had the coolest car ever. It was a Chevy Beretta. It was black. It roared like a lion. 
And the reason why was the muffler was dead, but I didn't know that, but it sounded cool. You rev up the four cylinders that you had. Uh, you know, and one of the coolest things, or one of the biggest things that happened my sophomore year of college was a hurricane was actually coming up the eastern coast, and it was going for New Jersey slash Pennsylvania. And so my school, for full preparation, they closed down for about four days, and they said no classes, no school, this was a sign from God, man. This was awesome, right? Because when you went to school, what was the best part about going to school? It was the snow days, right? It was the snow days. And you're like, man, a free day off. This is awesome. I'm going to sleep all day. And back then there was no Netflix. You just had VHS tapes and stuff. But like, that's what you did back then. So 2003, I was the president of my school. I had a car that roared like a lion and school was canceled. We could do whatever we wanted to do. And so me and my buddies, we decided we're going to go to Six Flags Great Adventure over in Jackson, New Jersey. And back then, they had a brand new roller coaster ride named King to Ka. And what does that name mean? I don't know, but if we translate it, probably was like, Mike, you need to ride it. All right. So it's like, all right, we're going to do this. We're going to hang out. We're going to go to Six Flags. We're going to go to King to Ka. It's going to be awesome. So on the way up, as we're driving, I decide maybe it's a good idea to go to the ATM before we get to Six Flags. So we pull into a little shop, a little gas station, and I go to the ATM, put in my little card, type in the, the PIN number. Enter that I want just $20, and the screen flashes, and it says, error. Oh, maybe I messed up with my PIN number, so no problem. I'll put the card back in, type in my PIN number this time, make sure it's right. Type in I want $25, and again, the screen flashes, same exact thing. So at this time, I was like, man, I knew we shouldn't have gone to a gas station in New Jersey asking for money. That's not a good idea. So let me just type in, like, print a receipt of my balance so I know how much I have, and I'll go to the ATM at Six Flags. So I hit enter, the receipt comes out, and the statement said, I had $9 to my name. I was going to go to Six Flags with $9 to my name. Uh, let's go get some ramen noodle right there. Don't they have like a microwave somewhere in Six Flags that they could probably heat this up, right? So I knew when that receipt printed, man, I am in a really bad financial mess. Now, when we think about our finances, let's be honest, we think more stress than we think health. When we think of finances, we think more trouble than we think peace. And I think the reason why is because so many of us are maxed out and we're strapped when it comes to our finances. In fact, a recent study was done to just get an idea, get a glimpse of the financial fitness in the entire United States. And they had four alarming results that I wanted to share with you. But here's the first thing that they discovered. The first thing is that the U.S. household debt actually increased by 11% over the last 10 years. So it's increasing. Everybody's debt is increasing, not decreasing. In fact, the average credit card debt is $16,425. Now, some of you look at that, you're like, man, I can't believe that. Others of you are like, can I negotiate to get mine that low? Uh, the average student loan debt today, the average person who graduates college, they're not only getting a diploma, but they're also getting a bill saying that their average debt is $50,868. So if you add the two up, right, the average person has about $66,000 of debt, not including a car payment, not including other things as well. But this is another stat that I think is super alarming. And it's the average U.S. median savings in America today is about 
$200. That's about it. So I think we could look at all of this and realize, man, this is not a good state, right? This is not a good time for our country. And we remember back to 2008. 2008 was the biggest financial collapse of, of our time. And we remember the stress, the anxiety that came with that. But I think just looking at this here, I think we could all agree that, man, this isn't good either. In fact, many financial predictors, they're, they're saying that they believe the crisis is going to happen again. And that, that's tough for us to deal with. And it's almost like this. When we look at our personal finances, it's almost like this could be described about our personal finances. First, the first bad decision we make is that we spend more than what we make. In other words, we find an apartment that we like, and it's a little bit outside of our price range, but man, it's got some good amenities, and it's close by the subway, and I hate walking in the subway when it's raining, when it's snowing, when it's windy, basically every day in New York City, right? So you're like, man, I got to get this apartment. It's a little bit outside my range, but it's okay. I could afford it. But then once you move into the apartment, you're like, man, my old furniture just looks so ratty and dull in this new nice apartment, so I got to get some new furniture to compensate for the apartment. Plus, I'm leading a growth group this semester, so it's got to look good and warm, right? And then so you get some stuff, and then you're like, man, you know, it's been a busy year. I've worked so hard. I calculated all of my hours. I deserve a vacation. And so, but you go cheap. You make sure you go to Costco to get your vacation, right? So you order your vacation, and then you go on vacation. Everything's great. And then, man, you forgot that the MTA raises their fees like every two months, and you forgot to factor that in. And so now, all of a sudden, you're spending way more than what you make, and it leads to this next thing, which is called debt. And debt is never fun. In fact, some of you, you have a household pet. It's not a cat. It's not a dog. It's your debt. You got so much debt in your house. And so you look at your debt and you're like, man, I can't really afford this. So you break it down and you make it manageable. And with this credit card, if I were to pay off my debt, sure, it's a low monthly payment, but I'm paying it for the next 50 years, but at least it's affordable for right now. Then you've played the credit card game. Every time you go to your uh, mailbox, you realize, oh, if I could get this, this one's going to give me airline miles to go back on that vacation I just went on. So that's frugal, right? And then you begin playing this game, and you begin to look at all these balance transfer transfers. And so you get multiple credit cards to deal with your financial situation. But you forget that the number one rule of all credit cards is the house always wins. And so once you spend more than what you make and you're in debt, then that leads to the next thing, which is no margin. And you have zero margin financially. You're spending more than you make. You're piling on debt. You got no margin. Guess what that leads to? It leads to worry, right? You're stressed out because you got all these different things. And when you worry, guess what you're going to do? You're going to spend more than what you make. You're going to go into more debt. You're going to have no margin. You're going to worry again. You're going to go back to spending more than what you make. And, and there's actually a term for all of this, this cycle that we see. And the term is this, the crazy train. This is the crazy train. You're just going over and over and over again. You're, you've hopped on this train, and you're going through bad decision after another, and it's really hard to get off, and it's really hard for you to experience God's freedom. And here's what I've learned. When we're in this crazy train, we tell ourselves some really crazy outlandish lies. We say things like, man, it's a tough season right now, but once I make more money, then I'm going to be out of this mess. No, you're not. Uh, once I make more money, then I'm not going to worry as much. Y yes, you are. Uh, you know why? Because 90% of us here, I would say, make more money today than we did five years ago. And we're still on this train. 
You know, some of you, you've been on this train since 22. And you said, man, if I make more money, if I do this and I do that, I'm going to get off and everything's going to be okay. And then now you're 32. And 10 years later, you're still on this train. Some of you, you said this when you were 32, and now you're 42, and you're still on this train. See, making more money is not really going to be the answer to this problem. You see, our biggest problem is not necessarily our financial picture, but I believe our biggest problem is our attitude and our view of our finances. Our biggest problem is not necessarily our picture financially, but our, our number one problem is our attitude and our view concerning finances. And what I've learned is most people's attitude and view towards finances is simply this. It's the assumption that money is all for my consumption. The, the number one problem we face with our finances is the assumption that money is all for my consumption, that, that money is all about me, that it's all about my pleasure, my enjoyment. I do what I want to do with my money. Don't tell me what to do. Mind your own business because you got problems too. But see, in its core, what is this belief called? Greed. Greed is the idea that money is all for our consumption. Now, thankfully, someone speaks on this in the Bible. A guy named Solomon, the wisest person who ever lived, but also he was probably the richest person who ever lived. So if there was anyone who could speak on finances with wisdom, with godly wisdom, it was Solomon. And so I want to take you to a verse where Solomon talks about this issue of greed. Proverbs chapter 28, verse 25. It's in your notes. And let's read this out loud together, starting with the word greed. All right, ready? Go. Greed causes fighting. Trusting the Lord leads to prosperity. Now, we know this is true, right? Greed leads to fighting. Greed leads to worry. Greed leads to stress. Greed leads to the crazy train. I spend what I make, more than I make. I get in debt, no margin. Greed leads to all of those things, but trusting in God leads to financial peace. You see, greed is this sign that I'm not trusting God with my money. Greed is this idea that, that money is all for my consumption. But when we live our life according to that, it's going to leave us stressed out, burned out, worried, and in the end, we're going to need God's help anyway. So what I'm here to do is I'm here to tell you that there is a better way to live your life. There is a better way for you to live your life than living with the assumption that money is all for your consumption. And see, there is a better way for you to handle your finances. And what I want to do is I want to walk through the book of Proverbs to help us understand how we're to handle our money wisely. So I want to give you five important rules to live by when it comes to wise financial management. Rule number one in your notes is I start off by keeping good records. The first rule to wise financial management is I learn to keep good records. Now, in studying for this message this week, I was stumbling upon a few articles, and my favorite thing that I read this week was an article that was titled, Seven Signs That You Might Be Broke. Seven signs that, that you might need to keep better records. And so I wanted to read through these seven. Maybe you've related to all of them. Maybe you might relate to two or three. But let's go with these. Number one, the first sign that you need or that you might be broke is that you finally clean your apartment because you got to look for some loose change, right? So whenever you're finally cleaning your apartment, we know why, right? Uh, reason number two that you might be broke is that you donate blood only because you get the free orange juice. And so you're trying to get that and work that in. Uh, number three, 
is that your retirement plan includes winning the lottery, right? That, that could work, right? Uh, number four, my favorite, is when duct tape is the answer to all your problems, right? Praise God for some duct tape, right? Uh, number five, the fifth sign that you might be broke is that the last time you had a great meal was when you visited your parents in Christmas, right? Uh, number six, the reason why you might be broke is that you go to McDonald's to stock up on your ketchup and your mustard and all that stuff, barbecue sauce. And then the last way that you know that you might be broke or need to keep better records is when your theme song is more money, more problems, right? So keeping good records, they, they are foundational if you want to experience financial health. And it's where you have to have this basic understanding of where your money is going. Look at what it said in Proverbs chapter 27 in your notes. It says, riches can disappear fast. How many know that to be true. But it says, so watch your business interests closely. Know the state of your flocks and herds. Now, reading this today, I, I don't think that last part applies to us fully, right? Know the state of your flocks. N none of us, we have flocks and herds. If you do in New York City, I want to meet you. That's pretty cool. Uh, but what Solomon's saying, I think if it were to modernize in our day today, I think it would simply say, know the state of your stocks. Like, like know what is happening in your finances or in your bank account. And so important questions that you have to ask yourself is how much do I owe? So many times we don't really want to know, right? We're, we're afraid to know the dollar amount, but it's important that you determine how much do I owe? Another thing is how much do I own? You know, this thing called a retirement account that my company's investing in, I don't really know much about it. It's important that you should probably keep records about that. Another question to ask yourself is how much do I earn? I'm always surprised how many people don't really know how much they make. They just, well, it's direct deposit. I don't really know. And I know a lot of it already went out. Then there's rent on the first, so I know I don't earn anything. Uh, and then the fourth question you got to ask yourself is how much do I spend? Spending is so important. Where does your money go and where are you spending? A lot of times we'll say this. I know I got to keep good records, but I just don't have the time to do it. And my advice is if you have time to worry about your finances, then you got time to keep better records. If you got time to worry, you have time to put that into action and to learn how to keep good records. So rule number one is I keep good records. Rule number two is I plan my spending. On the inside of my notes, rule number two is I plan my spending. This is where I tell my money, where does it go? Because if you don't tell your money where to go, you're going to spend all month wondering where it went. And see, this is all about the importance of budgeting, that I set financial goals and I learn to stick with them. Look at Proverbs 21, verse 5 in your notes. He says, plan carefully and you'll have plenty. If you act too quickly, you will never have enough. Underline that phrase, plan carefully. You see, financial freedom is never determined by how much money you make. Remember, we make more than we've ever made before, yet we're still stressed out more than ever with our finances. It has nothing to do with how much you make. It has everything to do with what you're spending with what you make. It has everything to do with how you're spending the money that you make. That's why planning is so important when it comes to your finances. In fact, there are, a recent study showed that nine out of 10 people shop impulsively. Now, here's what we do. We're sitting here today, and we say, I thank God I'm one, of, one out of 10 that doesn't shop impulsively. The one sitting next to me actually is the impulsive buyer, right? And we all the time, we go into a situation, we say we're not going to buy anything, and then we end up buying something that we weren't prepared 
to buy. And the reason why is because of all these different sales, right? I mean, it's fall savings out with the summer, in with the fall, 20% off. And if you use your card, another 15% off. Or Columbus Day sales, right? We don't really remember what Columbus did, but we know he's He's got a good sale coming up in about a month, right? And so we shop impulsively all the time. And why do we do this? Why do we give way? Why don't we have enough discipline? A lot of people research this, and here's what they determine. The reason why you don't do that is because of this word called S-A-L-E, a sale, right? And we walk in there, well, I had to get it. It was 40% off and on clearance, so another 15% off. And I got my AAA card, so another 10% off, right? And we do better math in our head when it comes to a sale, right? And see, but people know this, and so they try to get us all the time. I wasn't planning to buy anything, Pastor Mike, but on my way home from Austin Street, God just gave me a sign. Actually, it was a window display, and it said, you know, buy this, buy one, get one free, right? And my love language is BOGO, buy one, get one free. But, you know, like, we do this all the time, but the Bible tells us don't do this. In fact, Solomon gives us what I call the IQ test for wisdom when it comes to our finances. Look in our notes, the next verse. Here's the IQ test. How am I passing? How am I doing? It says, stupid people spend their money as fast as they get it. Not my words. Get mad at Solomon, right? So if I'm spending my money as fast as I get it, Solomon says, I'm not that wise, right? So you got to break this habit. How do I plan my spending? It's this dirty little word called a budget. We hate a budget. Why? Because a budget makes us stick to something. But a budget is where you're telling your money where you want it to go rather than wondering where it went. And I advise you sit down every month and do a budget and name and claim every single dollar. You'll know better how to plan your spending when you set up a budget. And my advice is take some time in prayer. Let it be a matter between you and God. Ask for God's wisdom and advice when it comes to budgeting. So how do I make wise financial decisions? Well, I keep good records, I plan my spending, and then rule number three in your notes is I save for the future. Once I plan my spending, I learn to save for the future. Now, many of us, we know about a guy named Benjamin Franklin. Ben Franklin, he was one of our founding fathers. He helped shape and write and and create the Declaration of Independence. Uh, For all you literary people here, he wrote the Poor Richard's Almanac, which is pretty fascinating. But probably for us growing up, Benjamin Franklin was most famous for flying a kite with a key attached to it in the middle of a lightning storm, right? And, And your parents said, don't do that, not wise, right? But before Benjamin Franklin's death in 1790, he bequeathed a 1,000 pounds to his hometown city of Philadelphia. Now, 1,000 pounds was equal to about $4,000. Now, $4,000 is a lot of money for us, but for an entire city, $4,000 is like nothing, right? So he said, basically, I'm going to bequeath 1,000 pounds to the city, but it was given with one stipulation. It had to be placed in a fund that earned interest, and it supported the public good for 200 years. And then and only then could the funds then be released. Now, fast forward 200 years, 1990, Franklin's endowment compounded interest. And at the 200-year mark, his investment of $4,000 to the city of Philadelphia was valued at at $20 million dollars. Now, as Benjamin Franklin, who said, a penny saved is a penny 
earned, right? And he understood the importance of saving for the future. Now, I say it like this, that saving for the future is the difference between you working for your money and your money working for you. Now, earlier we looked at the IQ test of financial wisdom, right? We said stupid people spend money as fast as they get it. But I didn't give you the entire verse. In fact, let me give you the first part of that verse. Proverbs 21, verse 20, it says, The wise man saves for the future. Now, according to CNN Money, one out of three Americans have no savings, no retirement account whatsoever. In fact, half of Americans have $2,000 or less in their retirement account. Now, Dave Ramsey, a financial guru, he talks about the importance of saving money, setting it aside specifically for emergencies. In fact, Dave's number one advice, the first thing to do if you ever want to get out of debt, experience financial peace, financial freedom, is you got to save $1,000 in an emergency fund. Now, a lot of times that kind of sounds crazy, right? Like $1,000, I need that to go to debt. I need to go something else. But Dave basically advises, he says, life happens. And so what you're doing is you're putting this away for a rainy day. So when it comes, because life does happen, you're ready for it. And it's not going to break all the other habits you're trying to put into place. And see, I encourage you, some of you, you, you just, you max yourselves out that you have no room for any emergencies or anything that happens in life. And so take time, block that out and learn to save for the future. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 11 says, money that comes easily disappears quickly. But money that is gathered little by little will grow. So I keep good records. I plan my spending. I save for the future. And then number four, across the page in your notes, I enjoy what I have. I learn to enjoy what I have. Now, for us New Yorkers, this is hard, right, to enjoy what we have. Because, man, I loved my apartment 10 years ago when I signed a lease. But, man, this place, it's a hole right now. What do I do with it? Or, you know, I got this nice car now, but this was back with a lease. And, and my car is so old, it doesn't even have Bluetooth. So I need some Bluetooth sinkage here in my car. Or, or you watched on TV, or you watched on the web this week. Man, the iPhone X. Ooh, man, I got to get me that. I got the iPhone 4. This thing, it works like if I hit it a few times and blow into it, then the iPhone works. But man, an iPhone X, it's $1,000. But I mean, I could afford that over 18 years. So I could put it on a plan, right? I got to get the iPhone X. And we do this all the time. We have to get the next greatest and biggest thing. But it's so hard for us to just slow down and enjoy what we have to enjoy the blessings God has given us. Proverbs 21, verse 17 in your notes, it says, those who love pleasure become poor. Wine and luxury are not the way to riches. You know, we believe this lie that having more will end up making us happy, but it's not the case. I mean, if it were true, then the wealthiest people would be the happiest people in this world, but we know that that's not true. So what we need to learn to do is every time we say this phrase, I'll be happy when, or I'll be happy if, we just end that phrase right then and there. Because anytime we put a tagline to that or an answer to that statement, what we're doing is we're saying, you know what, God, what I have is not enough. God, thanks, but no thanks. And so God is teaching us to be content with the blessings that he's given us. Look at our next verse here, Hebrews chapter 13, verse 5. Let's read this verse out loud with a lot of resentment. Let's, let's read this with resentment. All right, ready? Go. Be content with what you have. Now, a lot of financial people will say that the key to not maxing out your credit card is to 
put your credit card in a Ziploc bag, fill it with water, put it in the freezer, and then when you really want something, lay it aside for like 24 hours, let it melt, and then you could use your credit card. I got a better advice. Don't do all that, all right? Take this verse, cut it out, put it on the front of your credit card. So next time you're going to get the iPhone X and you can't afford it, be content with your iPhone 3, right? Next time I'm going to buy a car that I, that I, I want because I need Bluetooth you know, to sync up, the, just be content with what I have. Be content with everything that God has given me. So these rules, right? I keep good records. I, I plan my spending. I save for the future. I enjoy what I have. And then let me give you the fifth rule. But I believe this is the most important rule of them all. Number five is I give back to God. The fifth rule is I give back to God. Now, on the back of every dollar bill and every coin is this four-word statement. It says, in God we trust, right? In God we trust. In other words, it's not in my president I trust. It's not in my local representative I trust. Even it's not in my church I trust. It's in God we trust. And see, we have to come to the understanding that everything we have in life belongs to God. That God, literally, he owns it all. You know, when I was growing up, there was an expression that we said often. It was this idea that God owns the cattle on the hills. And I remember hearing that, but I don't even know what that means. But sure, God owns the cattle on the hill. But it's true, but even God also owns the hills. God owns, he owns everything. And once we understand that everything we have comes from God, what we understand is in the end, it's his money. It's not necessarily our money. And so when we're having financial pressure, guess what? It's, in the end, it's his problem. It's not really ours. And see, my point is that God can't do anything about your financial situation until you first understand that your money is not your money, that, that everything you have, including your money, is God's to begin with. So what does that do for me? Well, when I'm generous with my finances, I understand that I'm not just giving this money away, but I'm giving it back to God. You know, if this is God's to begin with, I'm not just giving this money away and it's not hurting my budget and my plan to get out of debt, but I'm saying, God, you own everything already. And God, I'm giving this to you as a reminder that God, you own it all. And to live off of 90% with your blessing is better than to live with 100% and it all to be in my own strength. You see, as Christians, we know this to be tithing. Tithing is where I give that first 10% back to God as a way of honoring him. Look at our notes here in Proverbs chapter nine, 3, verse 9 and 10. It says, honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income. Underline that phrase, the first part of all your income. So how do I know if I'm honoring God? According to this passage, it says, when I give him the first part of all my income, then what happens? In your notes, it says, and he will fill your barns to overflow. Now, again, we live in New York City, so if you own a barn, man, I got to meet you. Like, how do you pull that off, right? But what it's saying here is just when we honor God and we give him what's his, that first 10% back to him, God is going to bless our lives. Now, we don't give just so we can get the blessing because, again, that, that's greed, but we give because we're honoring God and we're giving him the first part of all that we make. Now, sometimes we tend to treat God almost like he's an Uber driver. You know, we get in the car, God, get me to where I want to go, and if you get me there fast enough, I might give you a little bit more. And guess what? I got an extra percent. God, 
I got $14. That's cool, right? That's awesome. And a lot of times we do that to God. Like if everything goes well and our month is pretty good, we're going to give God what we got left over. And so God, here's my faith. I got $4.93. I got faith, right? But see, that's not how it works. And see, I believe that sometimes the most sensitive nerve in our body is the one that goes from our heart down to our wallet. Uh, look at what Proverbs chapter 22, verse 9 reminds us. It says in your notes, blessed are those who are frugal, right? That was said, blessed are those who are frugal with their money, right? Uh, blessed are those who budget. No, it says blessed are those who are generous. Blessed are those who are generous. Now, now generosity is tough, and I get it. You know, when Danielle and I first got married 10 years ago, we set a lot of goals for our life. You know, one of our goals was we wanted to travel. We wanted to see the world. We felt like the world's a big place. We don't want to stay in our little areas. So we want to, we want to travel and have fun. Uh, another goal we had was we, want, we wanted to make sure that we enjoyed our kids. Uh, we felt like our situation when we were growing up, we saw a lot of parents that they were so stressed out, so busy, that they didn't really enjoy their kids. And so we said, when we have kids, we want to enjoy them. We want to, our kids to know that we actually enjoy hanging out with them too. But one of the biggest goals and the toughest goals that we set for ourselves was from the day we got married, we wanted to make sure that we tithed, that we gave God the first 10%, not what was left over. And the reason why was we, we took Scripture very seriously. We read all throughout Scripture where it says that those who don't tithe are robbing God, and in turn, they're under a curse. And I read that, and I was like, uh, I don't want that for me. Like, life is tough as it is. Marriage can be tough sometimes. Raising family can be tough. I, I don't want to be under a curse. I don't want to rob God. So I said, I'm going to make sure that we have God's blessing for our life. And we made sure that we were going to tithe since day one. Now, was it easy? No, not at all. I mean, there was one point in our marriage where we took our student loan debt, some of our credit card debt. We were $55,000 in debt. It would have been a whole lot easier to take that 10% and tackle the debt. But we said, God, we're honoring you. We're going to trust you with this. Is it easy now? No, it's still tough. It's still hard. But we tithe because God's kingdom matters to us. And I believe within my heart that this church is changing people's lives. I believe with all my heart that this church is changing our community more so than Apple is, more so than Time Warner, more so than Starbucks. And so when I think about that, why would I give Starbucks more money than I would give to what God is doing here? Why would I give Time Warner more money than I would give to what God is doing here? And so I want to encourage you to do the same. Begin to tithe. Begin to support what God is doing here at the church. Maybe you're here today and you're like, well, Pastor Mike, I hear you, but I can't. I can't do that full 10%. Listen, start somewhere. Don't just give up because you can't do a full 10%. Start somewhere and see how God is blessing you, stretching you to take that step of faith. And maybe some of you, you're here today, and you called the journey your home church, and you're like, man, I've been in. I've been attending for like three years, and I've been so faithful that I've been given $20 a week or $20 a month. And I'll say that's great, that's awesome, but it's time for you to step it up. It's time for you to take that big risk of faith. And don't, don't get mad at me. This is a conversation between you and God. I'm just here to help facilitate it. But take that step of faith. Take that risk and say, God, this is tough. This is difficult, but it's between me and you. And God, I got to support what you're doing here at the local church. And I'm going to trust that you can help bless me with everything else. You see, God is a giving God. And when we look at the Bible and all the things that God has given us, 
all God asks of us is 10%. And God says in his word that when we give, we are more like God. Why? Because we're doing the very things that God has done for us. So when we don't give, we're not just hurting ourselves, but we're hurting the local church as a whole. And so I want to challenge you, take that big step of faith. If it belongs to God anyway, give it back to him and see what he can do through that. If you turn over to the back of your notes, I just want to show you how does the world operate and what does God's word tell us when it comes to our finances? What most people do when it comes to their money is they earn it, then they enjoy it, right? The 15th of the month, payday, let's party, right? First of the month, I can't because rent's due. And then number three, the third thing they do is they repay it. There's their past, there's their debt, there's everything that they have to pay for. Then if they have enough money, they'll save it. And if they're lucky, they'll tithe it. You know, God, I'll invest what little I have left. But see, the order that God blesses, and this is all throughout the Bible. If you disagree, just look for yourself in the Bible, research it, find it for yourself. But it says that the order God blesses is I earn it, then I tithe it. After I tithe it, then I save it. Then I repay it. And then I enjoy it. So I earn it, I tithe it, I save it, I repay it, then I enjoy it. You see, dealing with our finances is tough. And some of you, you've made tough, bad financial decisions over the course of your life. Aren't you tired of living the way everybody else does? I mean, wouldn't it be wise just for once to try God's plan and see what it might be like when you live according to God's plan? Look at Proverbs chapter 15, verse 16 in your notes. It says, it is better to have little with fear for the Lord than to have great treasure with turmoil. It's better to have little with the fear of the Lord than to have great treasure with turmoil. Now, the word fear here is not talking about like God is someone we should be afraid of, but the word fear simply means I'm taking God seriously. And my hope and prayer is that today you will decide to take God seriously and to live according to his word, even when it comes to your finances. Let's take a moment and pray. God, we thank you for this time that we can look to your word and, and talk about such a tough topic, the topic of money. And God, to be honest, so many of us here, we're stressed out, we're maxed out, we're worried. And God, even for some of us, the, the only time that we pray to you is in moments of financial crisis. And God, I pray that today that you would help us to reprioritize, rearrange our lives. God, let us start with the fear of the Lord. Let us start with taking you seriously, that, that maybe it's time to go against culture, go against what my friends might be advising, and just to take you at your word and to trust you with it. Help me to realize that, God, you own it all anyway. And so, God, we're going to not only give it back to you, but we're going to realign our lives according to your word, whether that means keeping good records, planning our spending, saving for the future, or learning to enjoy what we have. God, help us today to take that step that's right in front of us, Lord. God, we ask all these things in your son's name. And everybody said, amen. amen.